Well, what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. And I would ask you to turn into God's Word to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3, and as you're turning there, just have a couple of statements, and then I have a question for you. Suffering is a part of life. The Apostle Peter writes, Don't be surprised when you face fiery trials. Or we think about Jesus who said, if they hated me, they will hate you. The famous quote by the English writer Alexander Pope, we're all familiar, to err is human. So it's hard enough to suffer when we suffer righteously. But what about if and when we suffer for our own sinfulness? And that's the question I have for you today. Is suffering for unrighteousness, is suffering for your own sinfulness, is that a legitimate form of suffering? So we'll answer that question today as we look at Psalm 3. Let's read this together. Please give attention now as I read God's holy, infallible, and an errant word. This is authoritative because it is God's word. Psalm chapter 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, we commit this time to you now as we sit under your authoritative word. These are the words of Christ. Father, may we hear these today, not because Kevin Dennis speaks them, but because they come from you, O Lord. And so we submit ourselves now to you and to your word. Show us wonderful things from your law today. And we pray especially for the preaching that you would take these meager two fish and five loaves and that you would feed a multitude this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a little background and context. It was helpful that we read 2 Samuel this morning. I want you to understand what's going on as David writes these words. We don't always get the privilege of having a window into what's going on in Scripture. But here we do. Look at your look at your title, the superscript, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Well, I want to give you a little bit of that backstory so you can fully appreciate and understand what David is experiencing in this psalm. 
his oldest son Ammon brutally rapes Tamar. This is Absalom, Absalom's sister, so Ammon's half-sister. And of course, Absalom is, is horrified. He takes Tamar into his house, and for two years, he plots revenge for his sister's honor. And at the end of those two years, he has a banquet for his brothers, and he, he does it himself. He has his servants murder Ammon. Does that sound familiar to you? David himself, an adulterer. David himself, a murderer. And we have the words of Nathan the prophet who said that the sword would never depart or will never depart from your house. And he's seeing this fulfilled in front of his eyes. What does David do? In each of these instances, he does nothing. The text records he got angry. And it uses his title as king, which just emphasizes his role as not only father, but as magistrate. He does nothing. He abdicates his responsibility. Absalom flees to Geshur. He's in exile for three years. And the text records that David mourned for his son Absalom. 2 Samuel 13, And David mourned for his son every day. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Ammon because he was dead. Interesting. So the king who longs to see his son Absalom does nothing. He did nothing to pursue justice. He does nothing now to be reconciled. I won't go into all the details, but there's a ruse, a plot to get Absalom back to Jerusalem. And David finally relents and says, sure, bring him back, but he will not see my face. And so for two years, Absalom is in Jerusalem, but he's still in exile. His father has turned his face away from his son. Sure, you can come back, but you won't see my face. Adding insult to injury. And then Absalom, as we read just moments ago, begins his plot. In the Syriac, you saw maybe a footnote there. It said 40 years that is really four years that Absalom plotted. Even four years is a long time. And as we heard today, he stood by the way as the Israelites would come to Jerusalem for justice. They would go into the city gates where the rulers would sit and he would pick off one by one these individuals, these Israelites who had something against the government and said, you know what, if I were only king, I would take care of this for you. And so he stole the hearts of the Israelites. That fateful day comes, as we read this morning, it's made known to David that Absalom has taken the kingdom. And so David flees. And that's where we now come in our reading in Psalm 3 as to what David is feeling and what he is experiencing. And I want us to look at this psalm today under three headings. The first is the problem, number one. Number two is 
the proper perspective. And then finally, number three is the promised hope. So let's begin with the problem. Verse one, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. I think this is remarkable. Uh, David and his sin has really brought this thing, this difficulty, this tribulation upon himself. And yet he tells or he cries out to the Lord how they have increased who trouble me. I was thinking of this when we lived in Kansas City. We would often go downtown to an area called Crown Center. And during the holiday months, they had wonderful displays, trains, uh, little intricate uh, houses and so forth. And so the family wanted to go and see that. I dropped them off. I go to park. We have a 12-passenger van. It's a big van. I pull into this parking garage, and as I'm pulling in and get the ticket, I notice the sign that is the height requirement is just brushing the top of my van. And I think, oh, you know what? I, I'm probably not going to fit. I'm going to need to turn around. But as I look behind me, there are five or six cars I, I can't turn around. I'm thinking, well, once I get into the garage, then I'll take a left and come back out. There was no way to immediately exit the, the parking garage. So for a, it seemed like an eternity. The top of that van was scraping along the top of this parking garage. And I was I was praying because there were sprinklers hanging down. Oh, God, please do not allow me to break off one of those sprinklers, which would have flooded the whole parking garage. Isn't that interesting, though? Right? I caused this damage. And you can ask me later how much that cost me. Right? Thankful, thankful for insurance. I caused that. And yet it would be like me going to the Lord and said, Lord, why is this roof of this parking garage bothering me? Really? That, that's interesting. But yet that's exactly what David is doing. And, and this is something that we need to take away. Because our tendency is, when we sin, when we bring something on ourselves, our tendency is, I, I guess I'm going to have to deal with this, right? You made your bed, so therefore you need to lie in it. But David takes this to the Lord. There's a progression here. He talks about those or they who have increased. Look, notice the word many. Many are those who say of me, There is, excuse me, many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. You know, that's really the clincher is these are church people. And you might be offended by someone you don't really know very well. But what if it's a friend? What if it's a close friend? David writes, In Psalm 55, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I can hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. It's his family, literally and figuratively. Absalom, the church, has turned on him. 
And the kicker is in verse 2, they are saying of him, there is no help for him in God. He is forsaken. I think it helps us to understand, and we did not read this this morning, that as David is leaving Jerusalem, you can imagine the throne that is rightfully his, that God gave to him, has now been taken away. And he's thinking, he's conflicted. I brought this on myself. If only I had, right? We do this in our own minds. If only, if only. And there is an account in 2 Samuel 16 of a servant, a Benjamite, a, a, a family member of Saul's house, Shimei. And he curses David as David is going up the Mount of Olives. And I want you to hear this because this helps us to understand what David is experiencing here as we read verses 1 and 2. Listen to this from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 16. This is Shimei cursing God's elect, God's anointed king. Get out! Get out, you man of blood! You worthless man! The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. David's commander wants to go and kill Shimei. And David said, nope. Maybe God has caused him to curse me. David is at a, a low, low point here in his, in his life. The problem is so great, it's beyond him. And isn't this God's modus operandi, right? He, his method of operation to hem us in and the metaphor as we are as like sheep and we can't look to the left or the right, we can only look up. And that's what God is doing here to David. The temptation is great to forsake God. I brought this upon myself, but yet God cries out, excuse me, David cries out to God. So the first heading is the problem. The problem is enormous. But God, number two, the proper perspective. Notice in verse three, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Another Beautiful image and picture of who God is as our protector. And the picture that we have in the scripture of a hen who takes her little chicks under her wings. And that's exactly what we're envisioning here. Psalm 91, 1 through 4. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. This is not how you feel. This is what is true. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Listen to what God says. Surely 
He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth, I want you to listen to this. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Again, it's, it's always amazing to me how the Holy Spirit puts together different themes. It, many of you were here for Sabbath school. And this, this idea, this theme of truth, it's not how we feel. It's what we know to be truth. In the darkness, don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. David is speaking truth in his heart here. He's reminding him of what is true. I don't feel like it. In fact, I, I, I want to, I want to go die somewhere. He's reminding himself of who God is. God is a shield. He's my shield. Number one. Number, or, yeah, that's number one. Number two, he's my glory. What is, what does David mean by that? It's, it's not David's glory. It's not even God's glory. He's saying, God, you are my glory. You, you are all I need. The kingdom, my family, you are my glory. Is, is that our attitude? Are we forsaking all for him? The Levites, when they were dividing up the land, you remember what God told them? You don't get a portion of the land. You, I am your inheritance. God is your inheritance. We could stop right there. That's all we need, isn't it? God is your shield. God is your glory. And notice number three, He is the one who lifts up your head. Again, the imagery is so rich here of a father who's taking a child who knows they have done wrong. And he puts his hand under their chin and raises that that little face up so that they can look into his eyes. It's it's okay. It's going to be okay. And that's exactly what David is doing here. He is orienting himself. He is speaking truth in his heart in order to gain the proper perspective. It's not about your circumstances. Those, those will change. It's not about how you feel. We, we, in our culture and society today, worship at the altar of feelings. It's all about the subjective. No. It's about what is true, absolute truth in a person, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the proper perspective involves prayer. Again, that theme from Sabbath school today. Prayer is so important for us to orient our minds on Christ and His Word. David continues, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me from His holy hill. In reading that the chapter today in 2 Samuel, the, the priest wanted to bring the ark with them, right? You remember what David says? Nope, take that back to Jerusalem. And yet here he is on the Mount of Olives, and he's crying out to the Lord, and what does he say? And he heard me from his holy hill. It's not about proximity, right? David is not in the context of corporate worship. He's fleeing literally for his life. And yet he says with confidence, oh, but God, he hears me. 
I'm going to read from Psalm 139. What a blessing this is. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David is speaking truth in his heart. This is something that each one of us needs to cultivate. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 10 about taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's, that's what David is doing here today. It's not about yeah, I'm going to shoot up a flare prayer and I'm going to go about my business. So this is a constant attitude of reminding yourself about what is true. Meditating on the word of God. How can we do that if we have not hidden God's word in our heart? Men, if you're struggling with lust, I strongly encourage you to memorize Romans chapter 6. Personalize that. What shall I say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace might increase, may it never be. Replacing, taking captive, which means you have to know what you're thinking. You have to know what's going on in your in your mind. I find myself at the end of a day, I'll be down, dejected, depressed, and you know what? I'll realize I have been running myself down all day long. I have not been speaking truth in my heart. Beloved, are you aware of what's going on in your mind? Are you fixing your eyes upon Christ in His Word? Do you have the proper perspective? That's, that's the answer. When we face problems greater than ourselves, how can we move on? How can we continue? Jesus Christ is both Lord and your God. He is your shield. He is your glory. He is the one that lifts up your head. He hears you from his holy hill. He fights your battles for you. Beloved, I want you to hear this today. You need to be reminding this in your own heart and mind. This is who God is. This is what he's doing for you. This is the proper perspective. Where does that lead? Number three, it leads to the promised peace. Notice in verse five, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Peace brings rest. How in the world could David sleep? He, in this context, is surrounded by tens of thousands of Israelites who are bent on his destruction. And yet he says, I lay down and I sleep. God gives to his beloved in their sleep. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. This is not about how he felt. Okay, His heart was pounding, I'm sure. And maybe he would wake up at different intervals, knowing, and maybe he could even hear some of the troops not far away. But yet his peace is not based and was not based on an emotion or a feeling, 
It was based on the absolute word of God. That God is and will be his deliverer. I also want you, and, and I want to make sure I'm clear today, God will bring circumstances in your life to test you, to grow you. He won't always just take those away. We tend to think, oh, the Lord's just going to fix it. He's going to snap his fingers. Not necessarily. I think about my children, especially as they've gotten older, the hardest thing for a parent to do is to watch their child make a mistake. And the bigger the mistake, the harder it is. And especially, and some of you parents know what I'm talking about, as they get on their own and you know they don't call you, but you don't rescue them. You let them fail. And our loving Heavenly Father does the same thing with us. David got himself into this mess. Now, God will deliver him, but that doesn't necessarily mean meaning removing the circumstances. The promised peace is about himself, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think my mind immediately goes to the accounts in the gospel where Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's at such rest and peace, knowing his heavenly father will take care of him, that he is able to rest. The Lord sustained him. Notice that in verse 5. I lay down and slept. I awoke. Why? For the Lord sustained me. And this this is incredible. Look at verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. How is that possible? You guys remember those bumper stickers, no fear? What a joke. Of course we fear. But again, this is not talking about the emotion. This is talking about the sin of unbelief. Do I really believe what God says in his, in his word? Even though I don't feel like it, I am fearful. I believe that his promises are true. I can trust them. Therefore, I will not fear. As I'm learning to preach, I'm very nervous in getting up here. To say I'm fearful would be an accurate statement. But it's not the fear of unbelief. I trust the Lord to use me as his instrument. Again, we want to confuse or do confuse these things and think, well, that's an emotion. No, it's a state of mind. It's the proper perspective. David had no fear because as he faced the giant Goliath, He wasn't looking at Goliath. What was he looking at? He was looking at Christ. And when you look at God, these giants become really, really small. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he can say, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Brother and sister, You can have no fear of the consequence knowing that Christ holds you in his hand. We may not know the future, but we know him who is in control of the future. Peace brings confidence. Look at verse 7b. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. 
Notice here in his mind, he's speaking past tense. This has not yet happened in our story. Victory in David's mind is assured, right? Because he is focused on almighty God. And this is extraordinary at the end. We have all of these personal pronouns throughout Psalm 3. And yet he ends, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. He's thinking corporate here. God's covenant, as Dave alluded to earlier, Genesis 17:7, he has made an everlasting covenant with you and your children. David is thinking about God's covenant love for his people, of which he is an a part. So that question I asked you in the beginning, are the consequences, is the suffering of your own sinfulness, is that a legitimate form of suffering? That would be a, a, a resounding yes. It is. Because whatever causes us to flee to Christ is a wonderful thing. It's a grace of God. The three enemies that we battle, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the flesh is very much alive. You will fail. You are failing now. But you need to cry out to God. And those problems that are so, so big for us, that all we can do is look up. You need to speak, be speaking truth in your heart. You need to remind yourself that with the proper perspective, which is a person, you can have the promised peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with this hymn that is so, I think it's so helpful in this context. And it was one of those, my father was a Baptist pastor in Texas and has a lot of meaning for me, and I want you to hear this. It is called, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. I think about Peter who stepped out of the boat to be with Jesus. He was doing okay until he started paying attention to what was going around him. And Jesus caught him by the hand and metaphorically, figuratively said, keep your eyes on me. That's the message for you today in Christ is to keep your eyes on Jesus who is our promised hope. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you for your holy word. It's perfect. It's living. It's active because it's your word. And Father, we pray that we would be changed today, that we would be encouraged to speak truth after you, to speak truth in our hearts. That Father, we even though we don't feel like it, we can, in the midst of turmoil, be at peace because we are fixed or have fixed our gaze upon Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Father, for your word. We pray now all of this in your name.
Amen. Turn now in your Psalters to Psalm 3, Selection A. Psalm 3, Selection A. And let's stand as we sing.